Thanks for joining us today on our um, Ghost Stories series. And, uh, and again, uh, Ghost Stories is not just us telling scary stories, but we're actually leaning into the fullness of who God is in the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is that person of the Godhead that gives us power. He gives us our witness and the ability to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. But he also gives us the power to become more like Christ. And today, we want to look at an issue which I feel like has been a blind spot sometimes in the church, and I wanted to cover that by taking a look at spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. And in case you're thinking this is going to go to a crazy, weird place, uh, it's, it's not. We're going to look at the Bible and what it has to say. And I realize that as we do that, we can make two mistakes along the continuum of being polarized in this issue of spiritual warfare. Number one, I do think that there are some, not many, who overemphasize uh, the, the, the idea of spiritual warfare. So in other words, they might, uh, they might believe that I failed a test, that that was demonic oppression, and you know what, guess what? It probably was just that you didn't study. You know, or that uh, there's a demon behind every bush. You know, you're walking around like, I just sense there's a demon behind that bush. Or, you know, maybe uh, some of you, uh, you, you just feel like, you know, an angel gave you the parking spot, right? You know, you're driving through the parking lot and you're praying for it, God, I want to get closer uh, to the restaurant and you get this parking spot and you just say, oh, the angels just provided that for me. I was in a car one time, somebody did that, I'm no joke. I hope that person's not here this morning. But, I mean, it was weird. I was like, I don't think the angel uh, gave it to us. I think the guy that just pulled out gave us that spot. And so, so sometimes we can go a little overboard with the whole idea of spiritual warfare. But actually, that's not the real problem. The problem is on the other end where most of us are, and that is that we don't discuss it or talk about it. It actually gets little to no emphasis, and it's more common than, you, than I'd hope to see in the church. Because here's the truth. In society, in the world, uh, spiritual warfare is, is actually out in the open. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I mean, the prevalence and the increasing demand for movies that glorify occultic and spiritual stuff and just the horror genre. I'm not saying that in, you know, not making a blanket statement that all that stuff is bad or wrong or whatever, but I'm just saying that if you talk to the average person, they will say this, that I, I believe there is a spiritual dimension to the world. But the church's response is to say, you know, uh, maybe, but what's more important to me is that I just go to church and I live a good life and I have some friends and if we could just do Bible study and forget about all that stuff, that'd be fine with me. But we're missing out and actually we're missing a real key component because there is a scriptural and a broad view of, of the spiritual world. I want to take a look at that because as always, we want to open God's word and see what does the Bible have to say. So let's begin. How about a verse? You guys with me so far? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, the Bible says, For though we live in this world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So although we live in a physical world, there is another world that is a part of this world, the world that we can't see. There's a war raging, 
and the kingdom is light versus darkness. Now, not in a what's called a dualistic way, so we're not talking about the Marvel or the Avengers uh, worldview, which is that there's good and there's, ver- or, you know, there's evil, and the two are warring together, then hopefully, hopefully the good wins. Because as we'll find as we unveil what Scripture has to say about it, it's not a dualistic worldview. It's the fact that there was an open rebellion against God in heaven. Uh, Satan was one of the angels at one time. Lucifer was, was kicked out of heaven and is now ruling the world along with his, uh, his uh, fallen angels, the demons. And so this is the world in which we live in. We're going to go further into that. And as I do... I think some of you are going to want to push it back a little bit, and that's okay. But I, I want to warn you that if you, fall, if you hang with me to the end, we're going to go through some kind of scary stuff as we look at the plans that the enemy has set up for us. If you stick with me all the way to the end, you see that there's tremendous hope, and there's a way that we, uh, we can achieve victory in this spiritual battle. But at first, I want to tell you about it. And uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So how do we wage this battle? With his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So you have a spiritual enemy, the Bible says. He, his name is Satan. He is the devil. He hates your guts. He hates you. He is planning and plotting and scheming to hurt you badly. In verse 12, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So there's this world that we can't see, that that stuff is operating in this dimension, and, and what we have to do is realize that we've got a battle on our hands. And it's not against other people, although we are deceived sometimes in thinking that this battle is occurring in amongst our our society or in the context in which we live. It's not against other people. It's not against the government. It's not a a battle against Republicans. It's not a battle against Democrats. It's not a battle against Hollywood or YouTube or any group of people. It's not, it's not, it has nothing to do with people. It has to do with a spiritual dimension. Now, some of you guys are like, well, have you ever met my boss? He's really bad. No, I haven't met your boss, but your battle is not against your boss. Your battle is against the powers of hell. And I want you to embrace this truth that what you see with your eyes is not all that really is. What you see with your eyes is not all that really is. There's more than the eyes can see. Even in this space, in this place right now, There's more than the eyes can see. There's things going on in the spiritual dimension. If you're you're going through something right now and you've come in today and you you have a, a deep need in your heart for healing or you've been hurt and you've come into church today and you're looking for help, I'm here to tell you that there's a battle at, at raging right now over your very attention in this place. There's a battle raging over spiritual truth and over biblical truth and how that lands in your heart is actually occurring all around us as there's a war for your attention. But I want you to realize, number one, that you're not alone that God hasn't left you alone in this battle. He wants to fight with you and for you. And one of the most encouraging stories in Scripture is kind of in an unlikely place. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 6. 
And I want to tell you the story about the king of Aram as he was waging war against the king of Israel. So he, he started to say this to his servants. Listen, my camp will be at such and such a place as I pursue the king of Israel. But the man of God, so that's Elisha, sends word to the king of Israel, be careful passing by that place for the Arameans are going down there. And consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place uh, where the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. So in other words, uh, Elisha's getting the word that the king of Aram is moving somewhere. Wherever they go, the, 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 uh, the uh, Israelites flee that area. So Aram, the king of Aram is getting ticked off. And he, he, uh, he's enraged in verse 11 of chapter 6. He calls in his ser- servants and he demands of them, tell me, which one of you guys is a rat? Basically, one of you guys is, you are, you are going to the king of Israel telling us where we are. And then one of his servants, bold move, right? He raises his hand. He says, excuse me, Mr. King, no one, my Lord, no one's the rat. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words that you speak in your bedroom, like there's no place to hide. So king of Aram, like you basically have like a Siri or an Alexa in your room. And, and whatever is happening in there, I'm not saying that Siri listens to you, by the way. By the way, I just wanted to say, Siri, what time is it? I was just curious if anybody's phone would go off right there. Okay, so, so, so it's, like, it's like there's this, there's this presence of God and he is looking at, um, you know, where, wherever the king of Aram is, that the, you know, they're getting warned about it and, and he's, he's freaking out. So he says, listen, um, where, where is Elisha right now? And he was told Elisha's in this uh, place called Dothan. It's a little encampment. And so he decides he's not just going to send a, a few troops. He's going to send horses, chariots, and a massive army. Surprise, Elisha. We're on to you. You're in big trouble. And so they surround this encampment. And in 2 Kings 6.15, let's read it together. When the servant of the man of God got up early and he went out. So this is Elisha's servant. And he, he went out and he says, oh my goodness, there's this huge army out there. There's swords and chariots and, and we, there's nothing. I mean, this is incredible. We're done. We're doomed. And he comes to Elisha and he says, oh, oh my master, what are we to do? This is crazy. What are we going to do? We're going to get overrun. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. For those that are with us outnumber those that are with them. And at that point, the servant had to be looking around going, I don't think so. There's a donkey. There's like one sword. There's a spear. And look at all these guys. What are you talking about? And so in verse 17, Elisha prayed. He said, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked around. He saw that the whole mountainside is just covered with military assets. It was horses and chariots of fire all around them in a dimension, in a way that he couldn't see. So he had spiritual eyes in that moment to see that the Lord was fighting with, with more than meets the eye on behalf of Elisha and the servant goes on in 2 Kings, when the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed, and all the hosts of this army that that he could now see, they blinded the Arameans and struck them with blindness. And it's kind of funny, Elisha starts telling them, because they're all blind, they're groping around, he's like, 
not there, over here, come follow me. And so they'd follow him, and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. You don't want to go that way, you want to go this way. You want to go this way. And he leads them all the way away from this place, Dothan, into Samaria. And then he says, he says, okay, I'll see you guys later. And he starts walking away, and he says, okay, now open their eyes. So all their eyes open, and they go, what are we doing in Samaria? Like they all of a sudden realized they'd been duped. But, but this army had fought on behalf of, of Elisha. And I think that's tremendously encouraging because you are not alone in your battles. God has arrayed in, in the spiritual world, if you had eyes to see it, that he has arrayed forces on your behalf for you. And I need you to recognize that. The second thing is recognize that your prayers are so much more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Your prayers are incredibly powerful. Daniel prayed and he prayed intensely, but apparently he prayed and nothing happened. And he was frustrated by that. So God sent a messenger to deliver this message to him. And, this, and scripture says in Daniel chapter 10, the angel says, don't be afraid, Daniel, uh, for from the first day you prayed, from the very first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, what does it say? Your prayers were heard. How many of you guys have prayed and you got down on your knees and you finally opened up about that struggle? You opened up about that thing that was in your, on your heart to pray about. And once you did, you were like, okay, now, Lord, I'm ready for the answer. And it seemed like it didn't happen. And so what? what? Why not? And you, you felt like it didn't happen. But he said, from the very first day, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. And he continues, for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. So there was a spiritual battle underway. And then Michael, one of, your, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the, uh, prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So your prayers are powerful, more powerful than you could imagine. And when Daniel prayed, nothing happened, but then there was an, a spiritual battle going on that he couldn't see on his behalf. And that's amazing. I want to talk to you about five specific things that your enemy does and then I want you to internalize this because the next part of this, and, 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 and this is scary stuff. Like when I, when I head down this path, I'm going to tell you about your enemy. And I'm here to tell you that, that the enemy's not excited that I'm about to tell you this. So he's going to begin to, I think even now, work to try to distract you. And at the very end, I want to pull it all together and show you how God wants us and gives us the power to victoriously overcome the enemy. And so there's nothing to be afraid of in Christ. Number one, the enemy wants to blind the minds of unbelievers. Many of you, if you're not a believer, your minds are wandering. He doesn't want your mind to embrace the truth. Second Corinthians in scripture, second Corinthians four says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. In other words, it takes spiritual eyes to see. It takes believing hearts to believe. It takes somebody that's regenerated in Christ and, and knows what God looks like in order to see. If you are uh, somebody that doesn't believe, you cannot see the truth of your spiritual enemy, nor the truth of God. 
Number one, he blinds the mind of unbelievers. Number two, he steals God's word from you. You had a time in your life, a moment where you were at a gathering like this. Maybe it was a moment of personal time with God and he moved in your life. And, and you, you journaled and you wrote down and you listened to music and this was a sweet moment where it was you and Jesus and there was no doubt that it was God. Absolutely none. God is moving in my life. And then you go to bed, right? Has this ever happened to you? And then you wake up and it's like, hey, maybe if I catch the cartoons or you know, the cable news. And, and it was like, then you'll be into it and you go, oh my goodness, I totally forgot. I, you know, God moved in my life yesterday because there was a distraction what was that? Where did it go? Why did it vanish? Matthew 13 helps us in understanding that. It says, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and he snatches away that which is sown in his heart. And so what your enemy wants to do is he wants not the word of God to be rooted in you, but to be shallow along the surface that he can come and pick off little bits of truth so that you, you might be blown away rather than rooted. You might be blown away by whatever comes into your life. He steals God's word from you. He blinds the mind of unbelievers. And number three, he sets traps to ensnare you. He sets traps to ensnare you. If there's a point of vulnerability in your life, temptation will appear at that point. Let me tell you something. The enemy is not, the enemy is strategic. He's not going to come to you with like a big bombshell of an idea, a big bombshell of a sin and say, you know what? I know you're not ready for this, but I want you to go beat someone up today. You're like, no, you know, I don't do that. I'm not a violent person. I would never. And, you know, he's never going to do that. But, you know, uh, he's, he, what he is going to do, he's going to take that little thing that tempts you, that bothers you, that tends to, tends to cause you to sin, and he's going to bait the hook with that thing. And guess what? It's different for a lot of us. So for example, I'm not going to walk into a store. I'm not the type of person that would walk into a store and see a luxury item and go, whoa, I have to have that. Like that's not my point of temptation. I'm a little cheap. So I go, you know what? That's, I don't want that. I, I wouldn't think twice about it. However, for someone else, you know, that might be a big temptation. Like I could afford that if I just put it on my credit card and I want that. And the enemy will bait the hook for you in a vastly different way than he will for me. And I want you to understand that he's very strategic as he is looking for those points of vulnerability. He wants to customize your temptation. When he was with Jesus, when the enemy was with Jesus in the, in the wilderness, he didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to overeat. <clears throat> he didn't say that. He said this. He said, how about, a, how about a loaf of bread? How about you strike this stone and water will pour forth. I know that you're super hungry. You're fasting. Why don't you do that? He, he tempted Jesus at the very point of his physical need, at his point, the point of his agony. And I'm here to tell you that the enemy is looking for vulnerabilities in your life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you have that hair trigger anger. He will use your children, right? Over and over and over again to get you to sin. Not that it's not okay to be angry with your kids, not if it's so, you know, sometimes you got to lock yourself in the bathroom and get away, right? But, uh, but, but in other times, it's a tremendous temptation to, I mean, I, I, I'll say this, like I woke up this morning, I was full of the spirit, I was excited, I was singing songs to myself, I'm like, I can't wait to get to church, can't wait to preach the good news, and I'm sitting up there and I'm reading the Bible, 
getting ready to come here in the morning service, and all of a sudden, my son begins to freak out downstairs over a Lego set. Just, it's crazy. I'm like, he is freaking out, and I'm going, oh, would you please stop? And then my anger level's rising, and my anxiety level's rising, and I finally, I just yelled at him. I go, would you knock it off down there? And immediately, I thought, wow, I'm off, I'm off my prayer time. I mean, I've, I've been derailed for a moment. And I, and I and I'm thought, you know what? I'm not going to let the enemy do that. I'm not going to let the distractions affect me. I'm going to get back on track. You see, the enemy doesn't want to come and get you at something that you're not vulnerable with, but he will take you off, off of your mark in the way that, that you have struggled with so many times. So he wants to stop you. He, number four, he fights to stop you. If you get a vision from God to do something, he wants to block you. In other words, if you want to go further faster, if you want to set bigger goals, if you want to achieve more, you, he is going to shut you down. I, I can't tell you time after time after ta- time where couples will sit and they will go, you know what? We have got to pray together and they will make a decision any of you guys ever been married for a while and you're like, we have to pray more together. And then you get in the car that night, you have this big blow up, you know, uh, argument like you've never had before. And you go, what? We were supposed to pray more together. And all of a sudden we're arguing, you know, because the enemy doesn't want you to get along. He wants there to be strife and he wants to stop you. Maybe you'll get in the car later today. God will move you and move in your heart today. You'll get in the car and later today, you'll, you'll cut, somebody will cut you off and you'll get angry. And all of a sudden you realize that he wants to stop. He wants to stop the momentum of the Holy Spirit in your life. First Thessalonians 2 illuminates this. It says in verse 18, so we wanted to come to you. Paul says, I wanted to be with you time after time. I made plans. And then, you know, and then he says this, that, that even I, Paul, I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. He, he stood in the way. I couldn't get the, the travel arrangements together. Then they would get together and then they would fall apart. And then there, something would happen in the journey and I was not able to get to you. And he says, it was actually Satan that was hindering me to get to you. Now, for those of you guys who always feel like, you know, things are just never good enough, they're never right, you know, it's the world is working against me, you kind of get that paranoid perspective, I want you to be encouraged by Paul. Because you probably think of Paul as a spiritual giant, but Paul says, you know what, Satan is at work trying to get me off the tar- off target. He wants to distract me. He wants to get me to look the other way. And he wants to use that to stop me and to, and then finally, number five, to destroy me. He wants to destroy you. He plans to destroy you. He fights to stop you. He plans to destroy you. He wants to take you out. And that's a hard truth. It really is. Like for, the, for those of us that we, we just prefer not to think of the enemy, like Satan and the devil, and we don't want to talk about that. Let's not talk about hell. It's not pretty. Let's talk about more beautiful things. Let's talk about cheerful things. Let's talk about joyful things. You know what? We'll get to that, but today I need to tell you the truth, and there is an enemy that he hates you, and he wants to destroy you. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, Be sober. Now's not the time to drink. Now's not the time to do a hit from your bong. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Pay attention, he says. Use your mind. He is looking for anyone that he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by our brothers in the world. 
So it's common to the world that the enemy wants to destroy you. He is prowling around. He is a predator, and he hates you with, a, with more of a venomous hatred than you can possibly imagine. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your witness, your testimony. He wants, you, he wants to take you out with a sin to disqualify you. He wants to devour your kids. He loves to get them hooked on things which are destructive. He wants to devour your finances and say, you know what, so you can't give. So you can't, you can't, you're always worrying about it. You're always fighting over it. And you, you are deep in debt. He wants to devour your finances. He wants to destroy your health. He loves sickness and he loves pain. Now, not all sickness, not all pain, not all, every bad decision, by the way, isn't Satan. And I want you to come away from that thinking that like the devil lurks in every corner. Some of y'all, you've done this to yourself and you know better and you've made bad choices and you know, it's, it's not, we can't attribute it all to the enemy, but I want to tell you that the enemy does want to destroy you. He hates you and you need to see that what you see with your natural eyes is not all that is. So what's the good news in all this? Like, all right, Pastor Scott, thank you. You've terrified me. Told me about Satan. How do I, how do I win this battle? How do I engage in this battle? And the good news begins in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 13. If you want to turn in your Bibles, Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Not part of it, the whole thing, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, everything to stand. He says it over and over again. Stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So let's start, I guess, best place to do it. Let's start with the head and head on down to the toes and talk about this full armor of God. What is it? First of all, we have the helmet of salvation. And, and, and here's the point of the helmet of salvation is it protects you. It protects your mind. The truth of God's word is that you are not saved because you are good. You're not saved because you have earned righteousness. You're not saved because you've checked all the boxes. You are saved at the mercy of God by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spotless, precious blood of the lamb. That's it. End of discussion. You are saved by him. And in your salvation, here's the thing, you can rest knowing that you're protected, right? Let's all take a deep breath. You are protected by your salvations. Part of the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. You are secure in Christ and no one can take it away. Satan can't come and grab that helmet and say, it's mine now. I'll pop it off and I'm, it's not yours. You don't have it. You can rest securely knowing that in Christ, in Christ, now I'm not one to say that once you're in Christ, you're, you know, permanently there and, you know, nothing can ever happen to take you away. But I am here to tell you that you can put on the helmet of salvation and knowing and having that security that through Christ you are saved, not by your effort. The second thing that you put on is the breast 
breastplate of righteousness. You know, the breastplate protects the heart. And the crazy thing about the heart is that the Bible says it's deceitful above all things. The heart's pretty wicked. Like, given its own desires, the heart will do what it wants to do, right? You know, have ever said, you know, the heart does what the heart wants to do? It's pretty, it's pretty right, you know. They, the heart is incredibly wicked. The Bible says that it is deceitful above all things. The breastplate of righteousness protects your deceitful heart. There is no one righteous, the Bible says, not even one. And when he sees you, according to Romans, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, that is Christ. When you put on the shield of faith, when you're holding it, it protects you against the accusations of the enemy, the arrows of the enemy. The accusations of the enemy are this. He's an accuser, by the way. Your enemy is an accuser. And he comes to you and he says, you're nothing. You are no good. You are worthless. Did you think that you could serve God when this is in your past? After what you did, do you think God's really going to believe you anymore? God doesn't want you. He's an accuser. And the shield of faith says, I do not believe in the accusations of the evil one. I stand on the truth of God's word, and I do not believe the accuser. What I find is interesting, and I really believe this is true, that I don't speak to myself in the second person, right? I, I always speak to myself like this, like, hey, Scott, you got to make it to an appointment, or, you know, hey, you need to, I need to, like, I always talk to myself like, I need to go to this appointment, I need to make this thing happen, I need to get to my calendar, I need to make a call, I need to talk to so-and-so, but I always do it like that. But it's funny because when the accuser comes, it's always like, you're not good enough you're not right. You are a fraud. You are not a real believer. You, and the accuser always speaks to us. Anybody ever have, have that happen? Like, you're a dirty girl. You're a loser. That's the accuser. And he, he zings those arrows, and they're incredibly painful, incredibly painful. And what you need is the shield of faith to say, I do not believe the accusations of the evil one. I stand on the truth of who I am in Christ. I am, I am designed, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, in the, in the image of God, and, and I stand on the truth of what he says about me in Scripture. I do not believe the accusations of the enemy. So we put on the shield of faith. We, we have the breastplate of righteousness and we are firmly under the helmet of salvation. And then we, we put on the belt of truth. Now the belt of truth holds up the righteousness. So truth holds up the righteousness. The good news is the belt of truth will set you free. Satan is the father of lies, but truth buckled around your waist prepares you to run into battle, right? We don't want to go into battle with our pants down. It's embarrassing, right? We want to we want to have we want to hold it up with the belt of truth that we are standing on the truth of the word of God. And that's part of the package uh, and the assets that God gives us, the belt of truth. And finally, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Don't go into battle barefoot. That's an amateur move. Go in with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Your feet are planted in the peace of God. How many of you guys, maybe others look at you during battle and they go, how, you know, you're, you're in a difficult spot, but you, they say to you, how are you so calm? How are you so peaceful? You seem to have this supernatural peace. I'm here to tell you, God doesn't want you to go into the battle in your life alone. Number one, alone, but number two, frantic, you know, running around like crazy, just freaking out all the time. God wants you to have 
peace in the gospel, the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. There's nothing at work in this world that can counteract the fruit of the Spirit. So put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. It will get you to places you had never dreamed of. It will take you to people to serve them that you couldn't possibly imagine. The shoes of the gospel of peace are supernatural transport mechanisms that will take you further and faster and able to do more under His power than you could ever do on your own. So you have the helmet of salvation, you have the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. I love that one. And then finally, what are the weapons? What are the weapons? Two things. Number one, the sword of the Spirit. If you're trying on your own, under your own effort, you don't have, you're not refueled by the, by the glory and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are missing absolutely this power tool available to you to to become more like Jesus. You can't fight the spiritual battle alone. You have to have the sword of the Spirit. And finally, the Word of God. Now, this one I wanted to talk for a minute about because some of you guys, you've heard from the moment you became a Christian, you need to read the Bible. You need to be in the Word. Man, you need to sit and open and crack open that Bible. And sometimes I think we become a little immune to that or inured to it. And we just assume that that's what our leadership tells us to do. But I'm here to tell you, it's not me that wants you to read the Bible. It's God himself wants you to be immersed in Scripture, to know it, to learn it, to internalize it, to memorize it, because our weapon is the Word of God. It's, it's the sword of the Word of God. Jesus, when he was in the temptation... Back in the wilderness, and the enemy came to him, said, look, I can give you everything. And Jesus said, it's not yours to give. Guess what he did? He quoted from Deuteronomy. Jesus quoted from memory. He quoted that, and the enemy left him. And the temptation comes to us, and sometimes, you know what, we're like, I don't know, I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Maybe there's a verse on that. I don't know what it is. I don't know where to turn. We need to internalize. We need to grow in maturity to know God's word. And I'm here to encourage you to open up your Bible every day because you can't do battle without the Word of God. You just simply can't. You don't have that asset. You don't have that tool. You don't have that weapon. God wants you to pick up the Bible. Some of you guys have picked up your Bible, quite honestly. You know, no condemnation here, but maybe if you tried to open it up, dust would fly everywhere, right? You don't know where that app is on your phone, right? Get out the app. Get out the Bible. Like, dust it off. Open it up. Begin to read. Start with Luke. Start with Acts. Read through the New Testament. Go look at the Psalms. Like, see the richness, the treasures that you're missing and get some of that spiritual energy. Get some of that vitality back into your life. That's what Jesus did. And if Jesus needed it, you need it. It is written. And finally, I love, I love what Paul says. Pray in the Spirit in all occasions. Pray in the Spirit. You need others to guard your back, right? To have your back. You've got to pray in the Spirit. You've got to stand for truth because people need to pray for you. Like even now, you know, you can pray for that person next to you. You can pray for that person seated in front of you or behind you. You can pray. Pray that as we access the throne of God that we don't go flippantly into his presence, but we pray in the Spirit for one another. I, I need your prayers. Like Jeff said, your pastor needs your prayers. 
But guess what? You need my prayers and we need each other to pray, to knit together in unity the body of Christ. So we don't walk together as as, uh, people of different groups. We walk together as one unit in Christ holding one another up. Part of the spiritual battle is that God wants to divide us. He wants to get us off message so that we become factions and fractured and people with opinions more than truth. And there isn't anything that I just read here in the spiritual gifts that is, or in the the weapons that that is an opinion. It's all truth and we need the truth of God's word if we're gonna get by. Are you fighting this battle? Do you know that you have the, ac- uh, the access to win it? And also this, if you're sitting here today and you're worried, like, oh my goodness, am I gonna leave here today? Do I, have the, do I have what it takes? You have what it takes if you simply humble yourself before God and you realize that he wants to equip you. He wants to equip you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to have the, the assets and the tools and the weapons and the, and the armor, the full armor of God so that you can withstand the enemy. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, for those in this room, even now in this moment, God, that are tempted to be distracted, to let their minds wander, I pray, God, that you would capture our attention right now, Jesus that if that person is a, is a believer in you, they have the helmet of salvation. They, they can put on the breastplate of righteousness, Lord, that, that even though the heart is deceitful above all things, that you see us as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we would put on the shield of faith, that we will withstand the arrows of the enemy, God, that the accuser would come and say that we're not good enough, we're, we're nothing, we're, our salvation isn't real, And we reject that by the shield of faith that says, I do not believe in the accusations of the the evil one, Lord. Help us to put on the belt of truth by your Holy Spirit. Give us the, the, the ability to stand on the good news, that the good news of the belt of truth is that it can set us free. The Satan is the father of lies. And finally, God, we, we strap on those shoes of the gospel of peace, God. We need the fullness of your peace. We need the fullness of your joy. Give us, God, peaceful hearts that we are calm in the battle, that we seem to have this supernatural uh, peace and that we would pick up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Lord, that we would be a people that would stand for your Word and stand boldly and proclaim it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.